0: Well, good morning, church, and uh, welcome to Lakeview Community Church. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, so glad you've been able to to join us and be with us. Um, I do want to start this morning um, by telling you a couple of uh, really good happenings, um, some good news, which I think we can all use right about now. Uh, late last night, I checked my email and I got the daily update from New York State, uh, Governor Cuomo, who announced that... Starting next week, um, actually starting this coming Tuesday, the standards for worship services has moved to 25% capacity, and uh, this room that we're in, the seating capacity is 240, so if you subtract or do your math calculations, 25% of that comes out to 60 people, I believe, Um and, and, and I'm not a math whist, so uh, some of you math teachers will have to make sure and check that for me. Um, but what that means is that there are doors of opportunity opening soon, and I'm uh, really excited about that. And so very, very big picture game plan. Well, very specific one, in, in fact, next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, we are going to do a, a drive-in service, Okay. Um, so we are, we, we've kind of mapped it out. We've made some plans. So next Sunday, the time is going to be 1030. It's going to be at our ministry center in that back parking lot. We're going to set it up so you can bring your car drive in. Uh, the spaces are going to be socially distanced, um, but there'll be room where you can grab a lawn chair, set it out in front or in back. And, uh, we are going to try to do our service there. This is a very big experiment. We've never done it before. We're going to have to just try it out and see how it goes. But that is going to be sort of, um, Lord willing, be the first step to us coming back together. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm picturing like, you know, playing that song before that Welcome Back Carter song. I think I'm going to find that and uh, play it for everybody as we start to come back. Most of you guys don't even know that show, so I know I'm dating myself with that one. Um, but, uh, but then the following week after that, uh, we are going to be sketching out what that could look like for, uh, services of about 50 people, um, and how to set that up. So we are there, we are, we are moving forward and, uh, that's good news. So, um, with that, why don't we just, uh, pray and we're going to open up God's word together. Lord, we thank you for the chance, uh, Lord, to just come together after a, um, Lord, another challenging week in so many ways. Uh, so much hurt, Lord, so much heaviness on our hearts uh, as we look out and we see a broken world. And uh, Lord, we just see the, the, just the need for you in so many areas. Lord, the need for, for, for you, Lord, to just come and, and do what it just seems like uh, no one else can do. Um, Lord, we pray for sustaining strength. We pray for continued wisdom. Lord, we we, we just lament and grieve. And uh, Lord, we ask, um, Lord, that we just now, at this time, be able to fix our hearts and our minds upon you. Uh, We ask, Lord, as we open up your word, that you'd open up our hearts. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, it says that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So life requires a support system and that often comes in the form of significant relationships. And I got to tell you, a lot of times when we talk about relationships and the model relationship, we turn to to the union of marriage, you know, and the beauty of of the marriage model of that one flesh relationship. And that is an amazing model. It, it, it just highlights God's design and how it reflects him and how we can better comprehend um, his jealous, exclusive love for his people and his church. That's, that's one model, but it's not the only model. We can look in Scripture and find the model of mothers and and of fathers also being models that point us to an aspect of our relationship with the Lord and how that reflects Him. And there's another aspect, which is the model of just friendships, of, of faithful friendships. Now, these are in a whole separate lane from, from the model of marriage, but, but friendships are also designed to to satisfy that need that we all have for deep and meaningful relationships. It's in a different way from marriage, but it's a very significant way. And, and I'm reminded of a, a quote from uh, Rebecca McLaughlin. She, she wrote in this book, Confronting Christianity, this reminder that in the biblical framework, friendship is not the consolation prize for those who fail to gain romantic love. Like marriage and like parenthood, it's another way in which God manifests an aspect of his love for us. I think that's so true. And, and when we talk about friendships, you know, some friendships are based on convenience. So, so as long as I'm getting something out of it, then the relationship keeps on going. But as soon as that changes, then, then it's off. Uh, other friendships can be built on on more like a contract where hey i 'll do my part, you do your part, but if any one party isn 't pulling their weight, then all bets are off, and so contract relationships are conditional; they come with conditions but there 's a third type of friendship that I want to look at this morning, and that is friendships that are built on covenant. I want take this idea of covenant and, and unpack it covenant is this unilateral, unconditional promise. It's the commitment to be there for someone else no matter what. And and those are the kind of faithful friendships that that we need more of in our lives. And those are the friendships also that help us understand and grasp more about the heart of God and how he loves us and how he relates to us. And And that kind of unconditional covenant, that's that, that defined this friendship between David and a guy named Jonathan, these two uh, brothers almost. And, and we're going to make our way through their story, and we'll see what's in it for us. And, and it all started with this very powerful promise, this covenant that Jonathan made to, to, to David. And so um, if you open up your Bibles to verse, um, verse 1 of 1 Samuel 18... Um, this is how it all starts out. And this happens after David had conquered Goliath. And now he's connecting uh, with Jonathan. So, so here's what it says in the first four voices. I'm going to see if we have the... Uh, I may have to read from my small Bible again. So um, here's what it says. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful whenever, wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war and this was good in the sight of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servants. All right. I do have to tell you guys that I am in need of a larger print Bible very soon. And this is the uh, this is the second week that's highlighting that for me. But what we find here is that this is a friendship that was forged on the foundation of a very profound promise. It says their souls were knit together. And that led to Jonathan's covenant promise where, where he tells David basically this, I am here for you no matter what. Um, that's covenant. That's the, that, that, that commitment, that's a key ingredient. And it's not just a key ingredient to marriage. We understand it, but it's also a key ingredient to, to any kind of meaningful relationship. And, and what's astounding to me about this is when you realize that Jonathan is King Saul's son, right? So what that means is that he is on deck to take over the throne. But what he's doing here as he begins this relationship with David is he's handing that over to him. He's, that's what he's doing when he's giving him this royal robe and his armor. And so that's like this is like the very first snapshot of how this, this, this friendship was forged, now what we're going to do next is we're going to fast forward a couple of chapters later and let's see how that played out. How did that, that covenant, those promises play themselves out. And what we're going to find in the next scene is that David is going to find himself in a world of trouble. And Jonathan, this, this friend becomes his lifeline. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to just uh, turn now to uh first Samuel chapter 20 and, um, and it says this: "Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, uh, "What have I done? What is my guilt, and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. All right, I'm going to stop here and kind of put this in context. Uh, what has happened between uh, chapter 18 and chapter 20 is that David is now a fugitive on the run. King Saul is intent on killing him, and, and, he, and David is basically running for his life. Um, Saul tries to throw a spear at him in the palace, and David runs. He runs home, and then Saul sends soldiers there, and he has to jump out a window and escape for his life. He goes from there to Samuel. But they track him down there, and he just needs a safe place to catch his breath, to regroup. And he finds that in his covenant friend in Jonathan. See, Jonathan's door was open for David to walk through. No matter how insane things would get on the outside, he knew that he could turn to his friend, and he would find unconditional welcome. You know, there's there's a line in a Billy Joel song that I think we can all relate to. It says, Say a word out of line and you find that the friends you had are gone forever. Um, you know, especially in today's climate, you know, there's this, uh, this, this mindset of conform or be cast out. That's, that's actually a line from a different song. And if you happen to be able to identify that one, I'll be really impressed. Uh, let me know. But, but the reality is, is we have this expectation. Say a word out of line. And we find that the friends we had are gone forever. That's that's just no way to do life. That's not the way that we've been designed to do life. We we need people who we know are gonna be there for us when things go south. People that we know that we're safe around, and, and the issue of where we stand with them, it's already settled. And it's not just constantly subject to further review. Right? Uh, for, for David and Jonathan, all that was settled. That covenant they made, that, that meant that no matter what, you can come to me and I'll let you in. That, that foundation, that, that made it possible for David to open up and to unload all the insanity that was going on in his life. Even though, right, just to remind us, the source of his trouble, what was making his life so miserable, was Jonathan's father. But but David felt safe to unpack it with Jonathan. Oh, I want to just ask us, is that reflected in our relationships, that kind of safety? You know, how often do we sort of like dance around issues? And we kind of walk on eggshells instead of being able to hit things head on with people, you know, we're so sensitive and we don't want someone to take something the wrong way. And and there's a principle in covenant that, that says this, that basically, if I know you love me, then I can speak freely and say anything. That's a beautiful thing to be able to get to in a relationship because our default mode and where we start out is on the other side of it. We all wrestle with this other fear that if I spoke freely, if you really knew me, then you'd reject me. That's where we start. Covenant allows us to get to the other side of that, that, that ability to speak freely. And that's why covenant matters, because it takes all of the conditions off the table and it gives permission to hear and to be heard. And I don't know if that resonates with you this morning. I think there's, I think there's something inside all of us that longs for our relationships to be at that level. I think that's how how God designed us, and and that's what we see in this relationship. Let's keep on reading and see how this friendship uh, continues to unfold for them. David vowed again, saying, your father knows full well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Now, now David is telling Jonathan, very straight up, your father's trying to kill me. And isn't it an interesting kind of back and forth? Because at first, Jonathan didn't see that that way. As a matter of fact, his immediate reaction is to push back. No, no way, David, that can't be. You must be mistaken. So, So here we are, we have... We have two friends who have two very different points of view over a very critical issue. Have you had any conversations like that this past week? Uh, Basically, that's been all of my conversations this past week. Um, but, But after David insists and he says, Jonathan, you have to hear this. I'm serious. And look how Jonathan responds in verse four. He says, whatever you want me to do. I'll do it for you. It's like what he's doing is he is he is writing a blank check. He's signing his name on the bottom and he's handing it to his friend David. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. You know, we we need people in our lives who are willing to go beyond, hey, I'm here for you. But are willing to also move and say, I'm willing to help you. Even if I don't understand what you're saying. Even if I don't get where you're coming from. And and, and Jonathan, with this unconditional commitment to help, does just that. And I wonder how much would change if we could kind of adopt more of that kind of response. I am here for you and I'll help you. If you have a problem, then it's my problem too. It doesn't matter how disruptive, it doesn't matter how inconvenient, I am committed to you. And, and so, by the way, um, I, I am reading through this in light of the week and the past couple of weeks that we've had. Um, and, and I've been on, you know, a steep learning curve. Um, and, and, I, and I would say that uh, this response of whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. I think that's the response that many of our brothers and sisters of color uh, are asking of us. And, and, and maybe that's challenging. Maybe that's disrupting. Maybe that's upsetting some of our paradigms. Um, but the question is, are we willing to give that kind of response uh, in light of the situation that's going on? You know, we, we need friends who were born for trouble. We need friendships that aren't just based on convenience. And truth be told, Jonathan would go on and pay an incredibly high price for the words that he said, for making good on that check that he wrote. It, It changed absolutely everything. And things and life got a whole lot more complicated for the rest of his life because of the commitment he made to David. You know, if your goal is to keep your life from getting complicated, not that hard. Here's how to do it. Don't commit yourself to anyone. Never promise anything to everyone. You will no doubt minimize the surprises and your life will be less painful, more predictable. And in the process, just be aware that you also end up being very lonely, isolated, and empty. Ours is a society that's more ambivalent about commitment than than ever before. You know, the mindset is basically this. Who knows what opportunities are out there that are gonna come my way that I'll have the opportunity to pounce on and chase down. And I don't want anything like a commitment to hold me back from something like that. And there's truth to that. Commitments are restrictive. But, But make no mistake, they are also the platform upon which everything meaningful in our lives plays out. And, and it's fascinating to me that that as the ambivalence over commitment grows, we're also hearing more than ever before about the feeling of loneliness and isolation and disconnection and emptiness. My take on it is that the convenient life is overrated, and the committed life is the one that's tapped into something real. So, so they're talking through their plans. Um, and David goes on and he calls on Jonathan to do what he promised he would do. He says this in verse eight, David said to Jonathan, therefore deal kindly with your servant for you have brought your servant into a covenant. He brings that back up from two chapters ago. Remember that covenant to the Lord that you made with me. Um, show kindness, deal kindly. That, that Hebrew word for kindness It's this big word, it's a loaded word, it's called hesed in Hebrew, and it shows up 250 times in the Old Testament. And truth be told, the word kindness doesn't quite capture the fullness of what the meaning is. So hesed is the combination of the word that we know for love, and it's welded to the word for loyalty. Both of those fuse together, and, and out comes hesed. So it's not just love, it's, it's loyal love. It's not just kindness, it's kindness that you can depend on. It's not just affection, it's affection that comes with a promise that's committed. Some versions translate it steadfast love or loving kindness. And, and in covenant, that's, that's the way you do love. That's the way love gets expressed. And so, and so Jonathan understands full well, this is what I've signed up for. And that's why he's not like looking for excuses to back out of the promise he's made. He's not saying, you know, David, I want to help you, but what you're asking me to do is just a little bit too much. I, I can't go with you that far. He's, he's saying just the opposite. You can count on me. You can count on me. I am here, and I'm in 100%. That's said. That, that's why... Going back to some song illustrations this morning, that's why Meatloaf was right when he sang, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you. That's that's not love. Love is motivated to act on behalf of its object. And that song, he's saying, I'm, I'm just not willing to do that. I'm not willing to go there. The only thing he has to give is is. Is lust motivated by selfishness? I want, I need, but he's right that it's not love. It's not love. But he's dead wrong to say that. Don't don't feel bad because two out of three ain't bad. That's that's just dead wrong. When you take that Hesed love out of the equation, it's more than not bad. It's horrible. What you're left with is. Lust, selfish love, and that creates an absolute disaster relationally. That's, that's why people all over are empty and broken down on the inside. People are dying to see love expressed through selfish, selfless sacrifice. And when the only thing they get is selfish lust, that destroys people. That leaves them empty and shattered and broken so if that's where, that's where selfishness leads to, let's, let's look and find out where does this steadfast love, this commitment love, this covenant love lead to. We'll keep on reading. And it says here in verse 14, if I am still alive, this is Jonathan speaking, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. You know what I love here is that uh, what we're seeing in this model of relationship is that it's not afraid of promises. It's not afraid to put itself on the line. And what started out as this one-way unilateral covenant Jonathan made to David, now it's extending to a two-way bilateral covenant that David is now responding and reciprocating to Jonathan. He asked David, hey, extend that same loving kindness to those in my family who are going to come after me. Now, now that's not bait and switch, right? That's not Jonathan throwing in something. You know, before we agree on this, I want to throw in this last condition, this last term. This is what covenantal love produces. It's compelled to respond and it reciprocates. It multiplies and it grows. And so the standard procedure for any incoming king, it would be to destroy every remnant of the previous regime and the legacy of the previous king. Nearly every king would practice that. But if we fast forward now, I don't have the, uh, the passage here, but if we fast, or maybe I do, fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Um, Saul and Jonathan at this point are dead. And at this point, David is now firmly established as king of Israel. And he says this, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And what we find out, this is a great passage to read uh, this afternoon, is that there is one sole remaining heir, a son of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth. Uh, He's the sole survivor of Jonathan's legacy. And he's crippled. He's crippled in both feet. And so David then calls him to bring him in. If If we can put ourselves in Mephibosheth's shoes, we can just imagine, this is it. He is bringing me in to exterminate me and finish the job. This is the end of the line for me. But what he finds out instead is that David extends this covenantal love, this hesed to him. He is making good on that promise that he made to Jonathan years before. And so he takes him in. He takes him in as his own son and he gives him all the land that belonged to his family. He gives him a permanent seat at the royal table He provides him with all the servants he'd ever need to farm the land and make ends meet. And he just, it's just this beautiful picture of of, of what covenant produces. Not out of obligation. It's simply the product of a promise. The fruit of loving kindness. I don't know if you caught what Jonathan said in, in verse 14. But he calls on David and he says this. Show me your unfailing love, your unfailing hesed kindness, like that of the Lord. Like that of the Lord. And that kind of brings us right back to the beginning. Look at who started this whole covenant idea. Whose idea was that? Where did that come from? It started with the Lord. It started with him. And David and Jonathan, they're simply extending the same love that they've experienced from the Lord to each other. So their, their vertical relationship with God is playing out in their horizontal relationships with each other. And that's powerful. That's so powerful. Loving others the way that the Lord has loved us. And His love isn't convenient. His love isn't a contract kind of love. He is the original promise maker and the original promise keeper. And you can't open up a page of the New, of the Old Testament without seeing Him. Just throwing out these incredible, extraordinary promises, binding himself to ordinary people who wouldn't be anything, and loving them into the people they'd become. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the generations of Jewish people who understood that they're a covenant community. They were beloved by Yahweh in a unique and special way. The fact that they existed at all was only because of God's promise to make a great nation out of them. And they even carried around with them, what was it, the Ark of the Covenant, of the Covenant, this constant reminder that they were the product of God's promises. And and what that all means for us is that everything that we see Jonathan doing here for David and David reciprocating in kind, this is all just a foreshadowing, a foretaste of everything that, that Jesus has done for us. His relationship with us was was forged on unilateral and unconditional covenant promise. These are the words that, that we remember when we receive communion. In the same way, after t- supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new, what? The new covenant. There's that big word again. Covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Right? We, We we read those words when we receive communion. But do we comprehend what what Jesus is actually saying there? It's the most extraordinary promise this world has ever known. That he chose to set his sights on us and love us. He bound himself to us. And that love took him all the way from the throne of heaven to a hill on Calvary. And, And we see Jonathan, he gave up his royal clothes, but... Jesus gave up his his royal life when he hung on the cross and he let his shed blood pay the price for our sin to resolve everything that stood between us and God. And Hesed, the ultimate expression of Hesed is this while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the ultimate expression of sacrificial action for the sake of another. So let's soak that in this morning. That in Christ we are beloved by God. That in him there's safety and security. That that in your time of need you can turn to Jesus with the same confidence that David had when he turned to Jonathan. Because he promised to never leave us or forsake us. And that promise applies to you and to me. And the response to God's love isn't. Obligation. You know, we don't respond and ask, okay, so how much do I owe you? How much am I on the hook for? Once you experience it, the response is, how much can I do? Not out of obligation, but because I want to do everything I can because I've been loved so well. So as we experience that love, we have the opportunity, like Jonathan to extend that love to the people around us in our lives. And I have an idea that there are people in our lives who would hear this talk of a love so great, of this covenantal love, and say, yeah, you know, Pastor Brian, I'd love to believe in a God who loves me like that, but I can't, because I've never experienced that love in my entire life I'm not sure it even exists. My, my whole life, the only love I've experienced is conditional love. Too, too many people have been used and abused and tossed aside and left, left alone. And I want to tell you, that's an incredible opportunity. That's one of the reasons church exists. And people will be more open to believing in a God who loves them unconditionally when they've experienced that on a human level when they've seen unconditional love from God's call from God's people um, and that's and that's our call and so let's take that love that unconditional committed sacrificial hesitant love of God and pour it out pour it out generously because it's been given to us generously let's 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 forge those same kind of friendships and let's imagine what that might lead to. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much, uh, Lord, for, for models that you give to us to help us better comprehend you. And you are amazing. Your love is beyond expression, Lord. There's no words for it. And yet, Lord, we just get these hints, these snapshots of it. And the way that we interact with each other So, Lord, in this week ahead, may we be able, Lord, to mirror that. May may we be able to better through through the empowering of your Holy Spirit to reflect that kind of love to the people and the places of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.